electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla, live from the Code Conference in Beverly Hills. David Faber, Sarah Eisen at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim has the morning off. Taking a look at the futures this morning, there is some weakness as the journal runs this piece that argues that 75 basis points is still very much in the cards, but not too far away from the flat line. Our roadmap does begin with big tech front and center. Alphabet CEO hinting at some potential cuts to headcount. Investors awaiting Apple's big phone reveal today. Plus, Carl just mentioned it, that Fed drag on Wall Street, the Wall Street Journal story. Well, futures are lower on continued fears of higher rates. Goldman, by the way, warning the bottom is not in. And Bitcoin hits its lowest level since June as its market cap falls below $1 trillion. We'll begin, though, with the Code Conference. Very big day for tech at large between Code, one of the preeminent tech conferences in the world, and, of course, the Apple event at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Steve Kovac is in Cupertino. We'll have more on that later on today. But as for Code, kicking off last night with Sundar Pichai of Google and Alphabet, pretty interesting conversation, largely, guys, about his efforts to make the company about 20 percent more efficient and definitely not ruling out the idea of cuts to headcount. Uh, he cites an uncertain macro, and with an uncertain macro, you have an uncertain ad spend and an uncertain consumer, uh, even as some of their internal surveys show some dissatisfaction with leadership. But here's a little bit of what Pichai said last night. Across everything we do, I think with scale, uh, you, can, you can be slower to make decisions. Uh, you know, there are more people to approve yeah. things. So, you know, you look at it end to end and, and figure out how to make the company 20% more productive. Meantime, the company has an effort called Simplicity Sprint, which is trying to reduce complexity. He talked about uh, matching up, for example, some competing elements of their music business and also talked about competition and the way he thinks about competition these days. It's not necessarily coming from their gigantic rivals, but in his words, often coming out of nowhere. The thing about being in tech is, uh, you know, competition comes from nowhere. Uh, you know, none of us were talking about TikTok three years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to be open-minded, uh, open-minded. In the big, big areas we do, uh, what I think is knowledge and information and then computing, uh, obviously, you know, we compete with, uh, be it Amazon, Apple, mm -hmm. Microsoft, AI, Facebook, right. mm -hmm. uh, and so on, emerging competitors like TikTok, mm -hmm. YouTube. So uh, I think it, it keeps growing. Uh, I'm not even mentioning the competitors from China or someone, you know, mm -hmm. the Tencent and Alibaba and the, by dancers of the world too. So uh, there's so much investment in tech. Mm -hmm. It is hyper competitive amongst the big tech companies too. <laughs> Meantime, guys, coming up later this morning on Tech Check, we're going to talk to Evan Spiegel of Snap and Aaron uh, Levy of Box. And as for code speakers today, uh, the conference is really making a statement with the lineup of this year. Andy Jassy of Amazon, Bob Iger, formerly of Disney, Tim Cook of Apple, 
Bill Gurley, I think a benchmark perhaps, Secretary Buttigieg, Governor Newsom, and it's all uh, happening, guys, as we get another, actually two more uh, dates for product announcements. Alphabet did say they'll have a hardware event on October 6th, maybe some Pixel phones and some Pixel, uh, maybe a Pixel watch, and then Meta announcing a headset event on October 11th where we'll perhaps get a headset. So all of these new products are coming into an environment where people aren't necessarily sure how the consumer is going to receive it. It's going to get interesting. Yeah. Uh, man, you got a lot going on there, Carl. You know, it was interesting. I was t taken by those comments from Pichai. Just in terms of co competition, given everything we know that's going on on the regulatory front, and, of course, Alphabet is certainly under the microscope when it comes to that, it seemed to be almost talking to Lena Khan, saying, hey, come on, things are, things are pretty competitive <laughs> as it is. Uh, you know, there are those who would argue, of course, uh, on that front. But it was interesting hearing him list all of those different companies he sees as competitors. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to hear how uh, Jassy and, and Cook, to name two examples, are going to return service and talk about uh, how they view competition. So uh, it's going to be a, a really packed day, a little bit lighter tomorrow, but we will be here in the morning uh, tomorrow as well, sort of wrap up what's being said. You know, guys, every year code sort of has a, a narrative thread. Uh, some years it's about innovation, some years it's about regulation, some years it's about macro, and we'll see what this year turns out to be in the next 24 hours. Well, that's why the comments struck me on, on reduction in, in potentially layoffs or cost cuts, because that's got to be a theme there, Carl. And Google, Google's, Google last quarter saw 13% revenue growth. A lot of these companies aren't holding that kind of pace of growth. And it's interesting, I, I went to a tally. You can find some of these companies that have been cutting. I know you're going to talk to Snap CEO. That's one. 41,000 layoffs announced by technology companies in terms of mass layoffs so far this year, according to a Crunchbase news tally. And you really haven't seen it show up in the macroeconomic data. Jobless claims are up a little bit, but it's such a tight labor market, so distorted, I think, by COVID and the fact that we're seeing this lower participation rate that the tech sector almost is operating in a vacuum when it comes to some of the pain. And it's been the hardest part of the market. We're going for eight days in a row now. Yeah, we are. Classes. I mean, it was interesting to hear him say 20% more productive. Exactly how you get there, of course, is a key question. Well, you're bringing up a lot of the macro factors that we're following. Let's, uh, let's move on to the markets now. Futures, of course, you may have seen are lower ahead of the open, which is about 25 minutes from now. In the last hour, we got a Wall Street Journal story uh, basically saying the Fed appears to be on a path to raise rates by 75 basis points this month. This, of course, is in the wake of Chairman Powell's uh, public pledge to reduce inflation, even if it does increase unemployment. Those rather hawkish comments, of course, that we know from uh, Jackson Hole less than two weeks ago. Sarah, also, you got to watch who writes these things, and uh, people do. Nick. And, and Nick, you know, it's almost seen as a... Whisperer. Yes, as like saying, okay, now it's going to happen. Well, because that surprise 75 basis point hike that they, that they did not telegraph, the first time they did that was telegraphed just a few days before by so-called Nick Timoros, the Wall Street Journal reporter. Look, the stock market's been straight down since Jackson Hole. The dollar's been straight up. We're at a 20-year high on the U.S. dollar. Have you been watching the Japanese yen? I have, actually. <laughs> and I think of you every time I watch currencies in general. I've also been watching the euro trade below a dollar. Below course, 99 this yeah, week. Yeah, many people thinking about shopping sprees or and or at least vacations perhaps, although we're back at school now. But yes, I did notice a 24-year low on the yen. On the yen, because they're not pushing back against it. They're fine with it. And meantime, interest rates continue to rise in the U.S. And we, we get word of a more hawkish Fed stance. We get better economic data, which I think is also confounding a lot of people. 
the services data from ISM yesterday at a four-month high, surprising, just gives the Fed more room to fight inflation. You know, yesterday I had an interview with the Unilever CEO. Uh, actually, Joe. I watched. You did? Yes. Did you hear what he said I, I about inflation? I was surprised, and you were, I think, as well, yeah. when he seemed to indicate he expects inflation to get worse, not better. Right. He basically said peak inflation is a pipe dream. All of our costs are going up, and we're still raising prices, which, I mean, th- th- this, is a, this is a company that makes everything, from Dove Soap, Hellman's Mayo. I think we have a clip of, of that. Listen to what Unilever CEO told me. We've seen the U.S. to be uh, fairly resilient. I think um, high household savings levels um, and the fact that we've not yet reached peak inflation uh, means the U.S. is doing well. And Europe's been one of the softer parts of the world. By and large, um, there is a limited down trading. The example that you gave of people moving from body washes to bars um, is, uh, is an exception rather than a rule. So he said there the U.S. consumer remains strong, despite the fact that we haven't seen the worst of inflation. Carl, I'm, I'm wondering what the, what the vibe is there. With We mentioned the layoffs, the valuation markdowns we've started to see, the NASDAQ losses, which are continuing to pick up again as interest rates rise. Are, are people feeling gloomy? I, I think that's a tough sell, uh, Sarah. And I wonder at what point some of these corporates are using uh, the historic or at least the um, the memory of high inflation as an excuse for just a little bit more pricing. I mean, look at what Goldman said this week about the likelihood of a soft landing getting better. Uh, pretty good services print yesterday on ISM. Uh, today, Susquehanna says people are are hesitant, but there's not a lot of downside risk being priced in. There are a lot of, there's a lot of put selling. So I, I don't know. I just think it, we're going to have to scrutinize a lot of the corporate commentary uh, in the next few months about the idea that prices are going higher from here. Yeah. Um, you know what, Carl, we want to get more on the markets uh, and the overall state of, as well of uh, the global economy. So uh, let's get joined uh, now by Jim O'Neill, former chairman of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, former U.K. Treasury minister. Now he's just a guy, but uh, a guy we like to talk to because <laughs> we always enjoy uh, his thoughts and opinions. You know, Jim, let me just start off. I mean, there does seem to be a pretty significant wave of negativity. Certainly we've seen it reflected in the market since Chairman Powell's comments what, not 10 days ago in Jackson Hole. Um, what are your thoughts right now, particularly coming from Europe, energy-starved Europe, where you know, we hear some very scary stories about what may be coming this winter? Uh, well, it's nice to be on, David, and thanks for the kind intro. I like to be thought of as just being a guy these days. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's pretty hard to find an optimistic story to say about Europe, um, which when I listen to your previous discussion and my past, I kind of think maybe it's that bad that we can't think of anything that's really going to be worse than it is. But certainly right now, uh, the only debate in Europe is who's going to be uh, in the bigger recession first uh, here in the UK or on the continent, etc., etc. And of course, uh, we have the ECB tomorrow going to uh, probably raise rates 75 basis points. Bank of England facing a remarkably superficially at least expansive fiscal policy from the incoming trust government. Probably going to accelerate rate hikes more, etc., etc., etc. And we don't have the surprising ongoing strength cyclically as, as your latest ISM numbers show just today. Uh, and that's right. before we even get to China, which is looking pretty grim as well, of course. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, before we get to China, let me come back to you, though, on, you know, more specifically on the energy situation and what the impact yeah. you see. Obviously, consumers in the U.K. and across the continent will be facing higher bills. You've got this prospect of utilities being in a difficult pinch, perhaps, if they aren't able to get recompense, so to speak, particularly when it comes to higher natural gas prices. What are your expectations, Jim, uh, you know, both on the consumer side and then the industrial side with that prospect as well? that certain manufacturing plants may not be able to go full out? You know, it's, it's so bad that here in the UK for the past month, there's, there's been more and more serious discussion about going back to the days when I first got out of school and going to university, of the, the, when we had things like a three-day working week uh, with enforced closing of factories, and when there was a lot of factories in the UK. <laughs> Um, and that's, that's the kind of mentality that people are having to think about. It, it is truly incredible. However, because of that and because of the colossal increase in gas prices, we're now seeing policymakers uh, consider pretty dramatic things. The UK government tomorrow, uh, after suggesting that they weren't going to give any handouts, uh, appear to be leaking that they're going to come up with a subsidy package which is on the same magnitude of what they did during COVID to protect employment. And so it, it, we could be close to s certain aspects of an inflection point here, particularly in terms of the what it means for headline inflation, because if they go ahead as planned, and Germany has just announced something similar a couple of days ago, it, it, it certainly means the damage to uh, individuals from cost of living increases and therefore inflation won't be as severe as everybody's been talking about until literally yesterday. Um, but at the same time, and what adds to the complication of it, because it involves enormous uh, cost in terms of uh, more fiscal issuance, uh, the UK bond market is increasingly sensitive to all of this. Uh, partly because, of course, uh, touching on what I said earlier, the Bank of England will probably accelerate uh, the degree and scale of its rate hikes, a bit like the Fed appears to be threatening. So the markets have got all of that to worry about, too. Everybody. We got, we got Canada later this morning. Some are expecting as much as 100 basis points again on a rate hike. Jim, my question in this environment is, can the U.S. avoid a recession? in 2023? Because if you look at the bond market pricing, credit spreads, OIS swaps, not pricing in a recession. And they expect the Fed to stop hiking in March 2023. Is that realistic? I mean, you know, as a guy, am I allowed to say who knows? <laughs> yes. Uh, no. You know, it, it is an absolutely fascinating uh, time. And, uh, you know, these days I have the liberty of trying to keep as open mind as possible. And something I put out on Project Syndicate late last month. I, I find myself, especially t talking to you guys a day after this UK policy development, that, that, that it might just well be that the underlying inflationary environment is not as bad as people are talking about. And I listened to your summary of your interview with uh, the CEO of Unilever, and I, I, like, I suspect there's something to what Carl said, that these guys are, are now building on the story of it to try and get bigger mm. profit margins rather than the inflationary pressures. You look at a lot, of, a lot of food prices around the world are actually down sharply from uh, six months ago. Uh, and if you take gas out of it, 
oil prices are, you know, are, are some way off the peak from some months ago too. And crucially, like I keep saying every other time I'm on with you guys, I, I watch yeah. the five-year uh, Michigan inflation expectation survey like a hawk. And that thing isn't budging. In fact, it's come back down to 2.9. And I would have thought the Fed will be watching that as closely, if not more closely than I do from what I remember right. of how important it is. So hey, it's Jim, not impossible, Jim. Sarah, that the inflation picture might turn. Yeah. I just before we let you go, because we're out, mm -hmm. out of time. But I mean, you do seem to be trying to build an almost positive case for equities or am I am I getting too far ahead of myself here? Mm -hmm. No, you know, I'm in that mind. I'm not there yet, but it's been very easy to be negative in for, for the past uh, nine months. Uh, it seemed pretty obvious to me late last year we were going to go through some version of what we've gone through. And of course, there's lots of reasons to be still worried, but it seems to me it's all getting a bit one-way street. And I'm not sure the underlying inflation environment is as worrying as so many say. And as as Sarah was hinting at, you know, the Fed also is obviously consciously watching its own, uh, the financial conditions it's creating, and they've tightened a lot in the US. And so if we start right. to see uh, inflation turning and inflation expectations continue to creep back down, you know, then I think the market's got a better chance of putting in a proper base. But, you know, that's probably a bit premature right now, but my mind's All drifting right. that way. Got it. All right. Uh, Jim, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good luck. Thank you. Just a guy, Jim O'Neill. When we return, the countdown to Apple's product event set to begin in just a few hours from now. We'll tell you what to expect. Take a look at futures right now as NASDAQ going for its eighth day in a row of declines. Actually, the NASDAQ remains higher, so we'll see if those gains can hold and break the losing streak. Dow futures under a little bit of pressure, down 34. S&P futures down three. More Squawk on the Street straight ahead. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Apple's product launch event set to get underway in less than three hours from now. Uh, the company expected to unveil a new range of iPhone 14 models, including a pricier Pro version. Also said to be in the mix, updated watches, including one with a larger screen. We'll be watching for what was probably going to be called the Series 8. Interesting piece in Reuters today, uh, guys, uh, that the product uh, wave is hitting consumers at an uncertain time. But, you know, iPhone's been rolling out phones like this since the 5. So they're well practiced at it, uh, David. Yeah, they've defied uh, what has otherwise been a not particularly strong market for for uh, for phones, Carl. Uh, you know, the rest of the market went down as much as nine percent, but 
not the iPhone, keeps chugging along, although you do have to wonder in this current environment, are things going to change? And that's why the stock is only down 13% versus the NASDAQ 100, which is down 26%. Carl, wonder if, uh, you know, to your earlier point, wonder what they're going to do on pricing. ASPs is sort of, the, I think, something that a lot of the analysts are watching. Wedbush's Dan Ives in a, in a preview note says he expects a $100 price bump to the 14 Pro and Pro Max, obviously the high-end phone, because they're dealing with inflation, right, and, and some of the cost pressures as well. But to your point, can they, can they pull that off now in a time where the economic environment may be weakening? Yeah. And also, um, you could argue uh, they've tried to educate the street over really over a number of years now that ASPs aren't the end all be all that they were, say, a decade ago, that it's a lot more about subscription revenue and services revenue. Uh, one thing that we are unlikely to get, at least if you read a lot of the trade press, is some kind of AR, VR uh, headset, which uh, looks like it's more like a 20. Uh, 2023 story, the street kind of got ahead of itself and hoping that was coming uh, this fall earlier in the summer. But we'll see. I mean, uh, Cook's speaking at Code today, and uh, they're going to discuss uh, in large part the legacy of Steve Jobs with Johnny Ive and Lorraine Powell Jobs, David. So maybe uh, there's a way to incorporate uh, Jobs' pretty much unparalleled ability to create surprises uh, in today's event. Wow, that's going to be a good event. Uh, very interesting yeah. conversation, I'm sure. Yeah, that's sure. a heck of a The panel. Watch Pro. People yeah. are watching the watch, aren't they also, Carl? The Watch Pro, because they're going to announce this this higher-end sort of watch for mountain climbers. People not like me. I think Garmin yeah. is the market share leader, which surprised me <laughs> yeah. in the high-end watch, electric watch category. Yeah, uh, the Series 8. I mean, and the watch has, has evolved from, remember, guys, when it was first rolled out, sort of a luxury item. Then it's moved to fitness, and we'll see to what degree they incorporate elements of recreation. Uh, definitely a lifestyle uh, product for sure. Uh, coming up later this morning, we'll talk some Bitcoin and the slump below 19K and what Mark Cuban said about it at Code last night. Take a look at the pre-market here as we kick a very busy Wednesday off. Squawk on the streets back in a moment. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. All right, we get started with trading uh, four and a half minutes from now. You can see Newell Brands uh, going to lead, at, le at least at this point, those stocks that are going to be down the most uh, in the S&P. Sarah's going to have a lot more on Newell, of course, that is related to an update to their outlook for the third quarter and the full year. We're back up to this. All right, welcome back. We've got about a minute and a half or so, even less, until we get the uh, opening bell here for a Wednesday, what Jim and I like to call hump day. Of course, it's been a short week, Sarah. What what sort of caught your eye so far a minute before we start trading? I'm just watching the 10-year Treasury note yield because it is a little bit lower today, which may offer some relief. That's a, it's not what we've seen in, in recent days. We got above 330 yesterday on the 10-year yield. Of course, this is all in expectations that the Fed is going to keep going with its big rate hikes, that the economy is actually looking a little bit better than expected, and that the rest of the world is going to follow suit with increases in interest rates, including a big decision from the ECB out tomorrow. So that's coming down, maybe some relief for, for beating up technology stocks, just in terms of where we stand overall on the markets. We've given back, the S&P has given back about a half of the gains that we got during the midsummer rally. Remember that 
13.5% surge we saw. We've given back half, basically, since Jackson Hole, when the mood turned sour and interest rates started going up. So that's key for me. All right. Uh, here at the uh, big board, we're going to count you down. Four, three, two. There it is. Eric Murphy Real Estate uh, celebrating his listing anniversary. Let's talk about areas generally the firm itself. Part because of direct lending that they've been doing and things like that. They have a lot of different products. Over at the NASDAQ, it's uh, Power Integrations. That's a power conversion company. Sir, I did. Let's get to Newell because we mentioned it uh, right off the bat there as a laggard. Uh, the company did come out and lower its guidance essentially. Um, you know, a lot of different consumer products, including for back to school. Elmer's Glue, they make Sharpie markers, Rubbermaid garbage cans, Graco baby products, Yankee candles, it's all over the map. Yes. And it's a little more consumer discretionary, I would say, than some of the other staples like a Procter & Gamble uh, or a Nestle, for instance. But the comments were interesting from the CEO about why they lowered their revenue earnings margin guidance. They, they blamed it on retailers, really, and, and the fact that consumption trends were pretty solid. They said it was driven by retail destocking while they're pretty optimistic about back to school, and they specifically called out the categories that were doing better and the categories that doing worse. Better, writing and commercial solutions, and then worse, home appliances, home solutions, including candles, I would think. Home fragrance, I don't know if really that's the category. A, yeah, you can make a decision on a candle. It's People not a, aren't spending as much time at home. No. It makes sense. That you was, can get those things on sale. Everything home, air fryers, big sales if you, if you didn't buy one during the pandemic. Outdoor products also a little bit. Uh, tougher, but but overall, it, it was the retail restocking, which signals to Wall Street and to some of the analysts that cover the stock that it could be temporary, that it's not necessarily like a fall off in demand, that it's still these adjustments when it comes to inventories from retailers that we're working through as a result of some of the pandemic distortions, right, right. with where, where retailers couldn't get anything in stock during COVID, then they overbought and overestimated and were all the wrong categories, and now they're just they're pulling back and we've seen that from Target and Walmart and basically all of the the retailers that sell these newer products the stock has been pretty disappointing David it's at the lowest level since 2020 um, yeah and I like to go back to a 10-year on Newell because of course we remember the uh, the acquisition that Martin Franklin's company yep. uh, didn't go particularly Jordan. well Jordan thank you they've had a number of different management changes uh, through the years but if you do go back there it is you'll see and if you're a long-term holder there yeah, you wanted to get out in 2017. I think that's clear. Hasn't been great. Hasn't been in the best growth products as it relates. No. Like they didn't get the benefit that, that some of these nice other them, staples it's been terrible. have had during the pandemic. It's gone nowhere. Ten years, it's down. That's horrible. It's a, it's it's the portfolio though. I think it is. It's a it's on. a it's a weird portfolio as well. Um, we got Carl out of code, um, and I don't want to forget about you out there, Carl. Uh, what are you watching this morning? Uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, we're here to cover tech today, but I, I think we got to have at least a short discussion about energy today because we talked with Jim O'Neill about the challenges uh, that Europe is facing. But Brent, back below 90 is going to take you back to January. Uh, crude, 85. That we're, we're getting close to an area, guys, where oil could be flat on the year. Uh, and what a mile marker that would be. Uh, Fundstrat had an interesting piece last night about gasoline, uh, down 25% in 85 days. Sarah, his argument is that is something we never saw 
during the inflation era of the 70s and 80s. In fact, back then, when gasoline even flatlined, you got a huge collapse in CPI. And of course, that is going to be the huge number next week. It's, it's for all of those that are, are hoping that we have seen peak inflation and that inflation is going to come down dramatically, as Jim O'Neill seemed to hint that he was getting over to that side. This is the chart you want to watch, right, Carl? The, ga the gas prices, oil prices, much weaker. It's, it's good for the Biden administration. It's good for the Democrats, I would think, because obviously so people are so sensitive to what they pay at the pump. However, if you look at the, the reason why it's coming down, it's, it's concerns about the economy and about recessions in places like Europe, which the recession odds have only gone through the roof there as the energy crisis there bites with gas prices, and China, which continues the zero COVID policy and continues to lock down cities, David, of millions of people. And as a huge, as, as the top energy consumer, you do wonder what that ultimately is going to do to demand, even though we're balancing a tight supply situation. Yeah, it's very interesting in part. We were discussing this yesterday with Brian Sullivan. You know, natural gas bound for China actually finding its way to Europe in part because China doesn't need as much given their lower energy consumption. But you're right, over 60 million people in that country under some form of lockdown as they continue to press their zero COVID policy uh, in China despite what, of course, has been a very depressive effect on the overall uh, economy, uh, which is not growing nearly as quickly as uh, certainly uh, those of us who follow China for many years have grown accustomed to. can take a look at the uh, Chinese market as well uh, there. Guys, I, I was planning on mentioning Twitter uh, simply to go over yesterday's hearing. It was an important hearing um, with uh, Elon Musk's lawyers and, of course, Twitter's lawyers battling. And it definitely seemed, for those who listened, that uh, Chancellor McCormick was taking no nonsense, you know, no nonsense uh, and showing no mercy really to Musk's attorneys. Not that she was unfair in any way, but generally sort of, if you could almost say, kind of saying, well, really? Going with that argument? Um, and it appears that we've already gotten a, a, a judgment from her. Remember, Musk's attorneys went into court uh, with that, uh, trying to have that counterclaim uh, amended to, a, to add in um, the, some of the allegations from the whistleblower, Mr. Zatko, uh, and therefore allow for increased, or I should say, uh, further depositions and a pushing back of the trial. Um, now, I'm only seeing one headline so far, although I may be a little late here, maybe there's more, but Reuters is reporting uh, that the judge uh, denied the request to delay the trial. Remember, it is set to begin October 17th in Delaware. It's going to be a five-day non-jury trial. Chancellor McCormick is the key person here. She will make the decision um, as to whether, of course, Mr. Musk's uh, argument that uh, the presence of more bots on the platform and whatever they can prove, well, that's the key. What they have to prove will be enough to allow him to exit the deal. Many people believe that will not be the case, given the burden of proof he will have to have, which is not just that it was fraud, essentially, but that it is the equivalent to or exceeds the level of what we would call a material adverse effect. Um, and you can see the positive response in Twitter shares. Uh, remember, it's 54.20, so it is still well below that. We shall see what happens, but Sarah, an important moment here because there had been an expectation. And again, I want to see more on the decision. I haven't seen it yet, um, but there had been an expectation 
that simply by virtue of making sure they had no basis for appeal, she might delay the trial a couple of weeks. Uh, not a major delay, maybe you know just into early November, but apparently that is uh, not going to be the case. Um, I'm seeing other uh, reporting here as well. Um, no delay. I want to see what she's allowing for in terms of additional depositions. So you're saying the takeaway from the market and, and what you witness is that she's not she's not as favorable to the Musk side. No, I mean a number of different comments from people were the Musk side was getting killed. <laughs> she showed no mercy. Uh, however, uh, and there was one key thing about Musk's mindset where he had there was some correspondence between him and Morgan Stanley, which is financing the deal, and he sort of indicated, well. You know, maybe we can just take our time here, go a little bit more, go more slowly, because it could be World War III. This was back in May. Because of Putin. Because of yeah. Putin and some comments. And, you know, again, that goes to sort of mindset. So um, that is a win for the Twitter side. Uh, no delay. We will be there in Delaware October 17th at this point, pending something else that should come up. But when we first heard from that whistleblower, there had been an expectation, certainly, not just that they would obviously uh, have a motion to amend the counterclaim, but that she would potentially allow for it, uh, doesn't appear to be the case. I guess it's a legit thing to want to delay a major deal, multi-billion dollar deal, if you think there's going to be a world war and with Putin speaking, but not illegal. It's not illegal. It's not argument. on the contract. Yeah. It's not on the contract. Uh, worries about things like that are, you know, are not in there. So what you are obligated to is to fulfill the means of the contract. But you're right. Um, but that then goes to the idea that, hey, it's not about what Twitter did, it's about the broader world uh, that is, was giving him, Carl, um, obviously buyer's remorse, as we know Mr. Musk has certainly had. Um, we'll be see. We'll see what comes from here. But again, Twitter, which we've covered very closely, up almost 4%. Carl, over to you. I was going to say, David, uh, between the message about World War III, uh, the timing of this, the ongoing discussion about what what would have been disclosed during diligence, but there was no diligence. I just wonder if you've ever seen uh, an M&A transaction quite like this one. No, never. And in fact, this will be a trial unlike <laughs> probably any other, and of greater consequence perhaps as well, because you know, the thought is at this point that if the judge were to allow Mr. Musk to exit, uh, based on what we know, and again, we still have to wait and see, uh, it would, you know, it would send a, a bad message to those who enter into such contracts. Um, so it is going to be a very important trial. And yes, Carl, it is unlike anything I think we've ever seen. But that goes without saying when you're talking about Elon Musk, because he is kind of unlike anything we've ever seen as well. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And of course, um, you know, a lot of what Musk continues to bring us is, uh, is elements about uh, ongoing space exploration, certainly electric vehicles, but also crypto uh, for a time, very vocal uh, in the uh, crypto environment. That was actually something that Mark Cuban weighed in on last night here at Code about sort of what inning we're in in terms of the adoption of crypto at large and what that means for price action. Take a listen. Crypto has a place for sure. And, but what's missing is new applications. Mm -hmm. Just like in the early days of the internet, we say, oh, well, the internet's old and boring, right? Because mm -hmm. we haven't seen anything new. Mm -hmm. And it really took um, for mobile to come along to, to really propel it going forward. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't have that right now for crypto. So it's kind of boring and it's just gonna stay boring with DeFi and NFTs as collectibles and maybe some other little things coming along. So until it doesn't something seem new. to interest you. Right? No, I, I'm still very interested in still investing, but it's just early. 
pretty interesting, Sarah, especially given uh, the fact that Bitcoin has been unable to get back above 19K. I mean, certainly not sounding like an evangelist at the moment. No, I think it's hard to be because Bitcoin has been so weak. What's interesting is, though, Carl, it hasn't, hasn't really had the same impact in terms of the spillover and the pressure on the stock market that we saw in terms of the correlation that we that between the two earlier in the cycle. And I do wonder if it means just a lot of David Leverage has come out of the crypto market given the given the pain that we've seen. I also wanted to point out this, this another company, Poolin Wallets, P-O-O-L-I-N, which yes. is a mi mining pool, yesterday announced that it's halting withdrawals of Bitcoin and Ethereum, just another big player in the long list now, including Celsius, that's had liquidity problems and has had to do this. So we haven't worked through all the problems there. No, we haven't. You know, b uh, before we move off currencies overall, given you are the expert, <laughs> What are the expectations in terms of quarterly numbers, in terms of earnings, and what we're going to continue to see as a result of the dollar strength? It's going to keep hurting any company that does business overseas, especially if you've got exposure to some of these places like Japan, Europe, where the currencies have been absolutely battered. China now is seeing some real currency weakness. And You've seen the translation effect. It hurts companies, everything from technology. Salesforce was one of the early ones to warn about it, to Microsoft, to pharmaceutical giants, energy companies, consumer companies. The S&P 500 is at risk. That's why the strong dollar has remained a headwind. And the fact that we are reaching new heights, it usually takes about a quarter or two to lag. But nobody can hedge these kind of moves because we're seeing multi-decade moves on the U.S. dollar. It absolutely has, has implications for for U.S. multinational earnings. On the other hand, it helps inflate, fight inflation yeah. in the U.S., at least. It hurts hurts for everybody else, but... 15% move year to date. It's, is it's that, yeah, is there any period up. similar to that? For 15, we, yeah. we've, we've seen dollar strength, but usually it's in times of acute crisis, like the financial crisis right. or during COVID, where you don't want the dollar to be the only place that people are flocking. It's never a good sign about the global environment. and. and it hurts economies and causes all sorts of, you start to watch these emerging markets as well, who have a lot of debt payments in dollars. Dollar denominated makes too. everything much more expensive. It's right. an old story, but it happens a lot. Yeah. And you, and you look at some of these levels, the yen is at the weakest level since the Russian default in the 90s. Right? So, and t bad things typically tend to happen to follow some of these extreme currency moves, which is why we're watching it carefully. The central bankers don't seem overly concerned. No, but there point. are a number of extreme moves that we're keeping an eye on, including in the energy markets as well in Europe. Um, because, again, of that volatility. did want to come back quickly to Twitter, guys, because I didn't have the benefit of reading the, uh, reading the decision. I now do. Thank you to any number of people who sent it my way in the last few minutes. Um, the amendment was, obviously, she allowed for the amended counterclaim, uh, did uh, Chancellor McCormick. But the key here is, is, is as follows. The defendants are permitted only incremental discovery relevant to the new allegations. Um, she says in her opinion that discovery can be made through targeted document discovery and minimal additional experts and fact witnesses. The parties are ordered to confer immediately to attempt to negotiate reasonable parameters for that additional discovery. We'll see if they can do that. And um, then she obviously denied the motion to extend the case. She says, quote, a trial judge has broad discretion to control scheduling and the court's docket. And uh, in arguing it should be delayed by four weeks, defendants contend no external deadline creates any urgency. Uh, but she obviously disagrees. She says, I previously rejected a defendant's argument in response to Twitter's motion to expedite, making clear the longer the delay until trial, the greater the risk of irreparable harm 
to Twitter. You can see those shares up 4%. So I did want to correct something I had said earlier. The counterclaim was amended, but obviously the key here is not really allowing for a lot more discovery and not moving the trial date. Let's get over to Bob Bassani for more on the broader markets. Bob. Uh, David, modest update for a change, but it's defensive in nature. So if you look what's moving, people don't get terribly excited about utilities, but they've been a, a stalwart recently. Uh, consumer staples also moving to the upside. Tech's holding in there pretty well, and energy's in a notable downtrend. Metals and mining, which were uh, having a great day yesterday, to the downside today. Remember those coal stocks yesterday, all moving up? Uh, uh, notably, they're among the biggest decliners today. So you don't get any real uh, trend, at least in the uh, uh, in the metals and mining section. And energy is in a very notable downtrend now. And it doesn't matter whether you're looking at the services names like uh, Baker Hughes or Halliburton uh, or some of the exploration production uh, companies uh, that are out there or broader companies like Devon. They're all in a downtrend uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, elsewhere, though, what everybody cares about is what's going on in Techland. And it's pretty ugly out there. I mean, we'll see Nasdaq's Opened on the upside, was down seven days in a row before that. Intel was at a new low. NVIDIA yesterday was at a new low. Uh, overall here, it's gone from 187 to uh, 135 in three weeks. That's 25%. Microsoft's down 10% in the last few weeks. Uh, so is Apple or so. Uh, and a lot of what we call the thematic tech stuff, social media, for example, have all been drifting lower uh, in the last few weeks. In fact, we had essentially we're at or near 52-week lows in uh, the Global X uh, social media ETF, uh, the video games and esports. Uh, so, you know, social media is a Snap and Bumble and Groupon and Match. They've all been in a downtrend. Uh, robotics uh, has been. Uh, video games like Nintendo have been in a downtrend uh, for the last several weeks. So uh, there's other things, too. Very broad swaths of the market are sitting at or near 52-week lows. So corporate bonds, LQD is the largest corporate bond ETF. That's right near a 52-week low. Gold Gold is near a 52-week low. Go to the next uh, screen there. Silver is sitting uh, at a two-year low. Uh, Grayscale, even Bitcoin, the, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is near a 52-week low. And even pot can't get off the floor. <laughs> the, that's uh, MJ is the uh, alternative harvest ETF. That's pot stocks, folks. That's a uh, historic low. Went public in 2015, historic low yesterday. So wide swaths of the market are sitting right at or near lows. Uh, the only good news out there I saw late yesterday, we got an IPO coming and a fairly big one. Uh, AIG finally announced, has been in the pipeline for a while, but CoreBridge uh, was going to be spun off from AIG. This is the life and retirement subsidiary of AIG. Uh, this is among the biggest uh, retirement uh, providers and uh, insurance providers in the U.S. 80 million shares, 21 to 24. So that would be in the midpoint, 1.8 billion. This would be the biggest IPO of the year, believe it or not. This is going to happen next week. My understanding is it's going to be down here at the New York Stock Exchange. Yes, it's a spinoff, but at least it's something. And remember, Volkswagen announced Porsche was going to be spun off as well. So we got two big spinoffs. All right, maybe we'll actually get some other kinds of IPOs. There's stuff floating out there. We've been talking about it for months. Nothing happens with some of these stocks, but Kinder Care is a child care center. Steinway is out there. Piano maker, Claire's, uh, jewelry maker, Fogo uh, Hospitality. They do Fogo the Child Steakhouse. They're floating out there. What we need, Sarah, is a more reliable market. The IPO aftermarket's been a disaster. You can see the IPO ETF here, Sarah, down 50% so far this year. A little more stability in the market would help here a lot. Sarah, back to no, you. No, those will be tests of demand. Yeah. Thank you, Bob Bassani. Later today on Closing Bell, don't miss an exclusive interview with the CEO of Kellogg, Steve Cahillane. That's 3 p.m. Eastern. 
about the consumer, but also he's trying to split his business in three. So we'll ask him how that's going. Before we head to break, it is time for the bond report. Take a look at how treasuries are faring this morning. You are seeing buying and yields are a little bit lower perhaps offering some relief to the stock market and tech in particular, which tends to follow rates lately. The Nasdaq's up eight-tenths of a percent. The 10-year yield is below 330, reversing a trend we've seen lately. A lot of companies rushing to the bond market today to get some funding ahead of the Fed meeting. Squawk on the Street will be right back. Dow's up 122. Every sector in the S&P positive except for energy. Dow's tacking on 80 points to begin a very busy day, especially in tech which is leading amid some weakness in the energy complex. Take a look at Tesla on that table as well, as Musk can now amend his complaint to add the whistleblower, but must be ready for a trial on October 17th. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. We're live in Los Angeles today at the Code Conference. Going to be fascinating. It got off uh, to a big start last night with Mark Cuban, who talked about his efforts in healthcare, uh, talked a bit about crypto, as we've told you, but also uh, the notion of taxes and what billionaires should uh, be expected to pay on that front. Take a listen. I don't mind being taxed more. I've, I wrote a blog 20 years ago saying it's the most patriotic thing you can do after military service is pay your taxes because that's what allows everybody, you know, to, to live and to prosper. Um, but, yeah, the idea of just soak the rich, billionaire tears, tears that sell that cup, mm-hmm. screw you, Elizabeth Warren. You're everything wrong with politics. Okay. Okay, then. All right. <laughs> Uh, Cuban uh, minced uh, no words last night, David. Uh, forgive the pun, but he's been considered a maverick politically on both sides. Uh, but he had choice words for both Democrats and Republicans last night. Yeah, well, that's something that's always been refreshing about Mark, his willingness to speak his mind, uh, which makes him a great guest as well. Um, you know, he's not programmed, not worrying about the general counsel or the head of PR or anybody else coming in and saying, how could you possibly say that? And so always good to hear from him. <laughs> always. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he definitely calls the shots on comms. Uh, still to come this morning, we'll get you more highlights from the Code Conference on this uh, decent open here uh, on this Wednesday. Don't go away. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. 